Welcome, thanks for coming. Uh, I'm dead excited about this. Uh, I'm glad that some blokes came because yeah. actually, what I'm going to affect you, what I'm going to talk about, will affect you just as much as it affects the ladies, and uh, and that will become clear as we kind of work our work our way through this. Um, how many of you did the old foundation course that, that I used to run? Quite a few of you. So you will have probably heard me teach on a section on uh, male eldership uh, and sometimes not why not female eldership uh, you know back back a couple of years ago um, in, in the New Frontiers family broadly the, the position in New Frontiers has been uh, complementary and I'll explain what these terms mean alright we'll get there uh, within the New Frontiers view generally has been women don't have senior leadership so they're not apostles, they're not elders and some within that some would have women speak like on a Sunday morning to the whole church some wouldn't um, in that kind of framework I was probably on the liberal end of that thing which is a complementarian point of view so I was very happy to have women lead all sorts of things in fact we sat in a meeting in there the other day and I was like lots of significant areas of this church actually run by, by fantastically capable women which is fantastic and happy to have women teach and preach on a Sunday uh, but I, I, was, uh, I was a fully paid up, signed up member of the Can't Have Women Elders and where we're coming from the elders are the people that have the government and the say so and the policy setting and the direction uh, and you know the big decisions about what the church is like sit in, in, the, in the realm of, of the elders so they're the senior leadership team of, of a church and, and where I was is that that was a, a male only domain and I thought with, with a good conscience that, that, what, that was what the Bible taught um, so there's two broad positions that, that, that Bible believing theologians hold on this and I think it's important to remember that both sides of this discussion about the, the role of women in church are actually seeking to be biblical that is uh, I've been in s discussions over the year and, and years and it's a bit like uh, one side will say well you know if you, if you take their point of view you, you, you're on the verge of becoming a liberal now the more I've read into this the more I'm convinced that neither side is on the verge of becoming liberal and both sides are actually trying to do a thorough job of understanding what scripture teaches on, on the subject of leadership and what it particularly teaches about women in leadership so you were not getting into kind of slanging matches about well they're just not biblical no everybody's trying to be as biblical as they know how to be um, the, so one view complementarian it, the, basically the, the, the view is summarising this in family and church man is the head i.e. the final authority that the last say is with the man <laughs> And that's how God created it to be. Men and women, women are said to be equal in value in being before God, but women are subordinate in role. So they must take the role of submission to male authority in, in, in the home, in the family, and in church. That's, in one paragraph, the complementarian view. So we're equal, but complementarian, I, we have different roles that are complementary. And then the egalitarians believe that there is, there is no hierarchy of function 
Women can have leadership in the church. There is no gift or role unavailable to them because of their gender. And they tend to view the home, the family, as, as much more as a, a co-equal partnership. Okay, so you can see there's quite a practical, uh, quite a big difference between those two. So as I'm going through, I'll refer to complementarian and egalitarian because to every time explain what, you know, that says in a, one word what a paragraph would need to say, all right? So maybe I should test you now without looking at the notes. Anybody want to tell me what an egalitarian is in this context? In the view of women. Have we go. Equal. Equal in function, in role, in gifting, uh, in partnership. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. How about a complementarian? What's the view of women? Have a, have a women that complement men. Yeah. Subordinate. But yeah, there's submission, subordinate. Okay, a bit more, a bit more, just different roles that complement one another. Yeah, different roles that complement. And it's about authority. So yeah. Yeah, the last say in the home and in the church. So, commentators would be fine having a woman prime minister or a woman CEO, but not a woman senior church leader. Um, they they wouldn't believe that, that that's God's ideal or best. Right. So, complementarian is about men having that ruling role in home. <laughs> Egalitarian is really saying neither men or women can lead, and that's that's legitimate biblically. Yeah, I'm checking that I'm recording. The red light is on. Is that is that good news? Okay. Well, somebody just heard that. You can't hear us. All right. Can we kill that side fan? All right. Are you doing okay for air? Okay, good. <laughs> if you faint, I oh, know it's not the Holy Spirit. All right. No, <laughs> so, so the New Frontiers family of churches have lived in the complementarian category to some degree or other, uh, and the, the, the commonplace has been no women in, se- in the senior leadership of, of a church. Uh, now, over over some time, uh, I've kind of got more and more questions about that perspective. So I have, over the last couple of years, researched this more and more, and I've given you some of my sources on the first page, which you're very welcome. And I encourage you to read your own stuff. I, I, I was tempted to bring the books in to show you, but <laughs> but I've been to the gym today already. Um, that some of them are fairly fairly weighty tomes. Uh, discovering biblical equality, recovering recovering biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, there's some interesting stuff on the New Frontiers theological blog, and the Complementarian webs. They've got a website. Uh, you can access some Greek Hebrew lexicons through it's it's a Biblos, not Biblios website, and there's other websites if you're interested in getting into sources of Greek words. As Wayne Grudem, systematic theology, uh, a friend of mine, Ian Galloway, wrote a pet paper on women in leadership, uh, City Church, Newcastle, and then commentaries on One Timothy by Gordon Fee and William Hendrickson, both uh, you know really esteemed scholars themselves so it's good to have 
you know, look at people who really know what they're talking about when it comes to the source text. Um, here's, here's the sort of list of things that have made me start to think again and be willing to think again about the, the position that I had and, and, and taught in hope. Um, so the, 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 there are scriptures that over the, the centuries, I guess, have been seen sometimes as prohibiting women taking senior roles in church. And the main sticking point ones, I started to discover all had problems about how you interpret the scripture. So 1 Timothy 2.12 is probably the, the biggest scripture to deal with, uh, which says in ESV, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man, rather she is to remain quiet. So, sticking it out there, it sounds pretty straightforward, doesn't it? All the women keep quiet and the men are in charge. And that's kind of how it's been in church life for quite a long time. Um, when I first looked at this, actually way back in the 80s, um, I, I concluded then, I thought that a, the AV translated, I wouldn't have a woman teach or usurp authority over a man. So that's the authorised version. And I thought they were probably right. But I've recently looked at this a bit more. And the word authority, which is probably the key word in that verse, is only used there in all the New Testament. So there's other words translated authority... Uh, but this one is tricky because it's only used there. So it's, it's, it's a different word for a reason, which we will look at. Probably we'll get to that tonight. I don't want to be late, but we'll see how we get in the flow of this because there'll be a point where we can stop and there'll be other, you know, logically where we can take a break to come back next week. Um, so the Greek word, if you just see, is authentane, and it's only used in this verse. Uh, and, and it's not the normal word Paul uses or other New Testament writers use for authority. The 2 Corinthians 14:34, which is women should remain silent in the churches, which, you know, there are churches, probably less so now, but certainly there were churches where, you know, women couldn't speak in church. But even in the same book, one, in, in 1 Corinthians, even in the same chapter, I know we would have real problems in this church if the, if the ladies had to be... You can already tell we don't actually believe this verse, can't you? Um, the verse 26, that everyone, which is like two verses, uh, pardon me, eight verses earlier, has already said everyone, gender non-specific, as a hymn, a word of instruction, teaching a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation and two, 1 Corinthians 11.5 talks about every woman who prays or prophesies so clearly the prohibition has, must have some specific application rather than a general one i.e. all women should be quiet in church it's about a specific situation because there's at least two places where women are exhausted, exhorted to take part verbally in in exhausted <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say um, so, it's, so it's not a carte blanche it's not a general, it's a specific uh, so the, the, the one thing that I, I really was stuck on is 1 Timothy 3 which talks about the qualification for elders and deacons um, and, and both for elders and deacons it says husband should be husband of one wife so you think how could an elder be a woman Because um, but then you do have a female deacon 
So the question then comes up: Is the, are these lists meant to exclude? Are the lists there to exclude women on purpose, or are they lists of qualifications that are, are kind of orientated towards men because it's a male-dominated culture? And, and, and we're, again, we're going to have to get into that because that's quite a that one Timothy three, which follows interestingly enough one Timothy two. Those are really key passages in in this debate and discussion. Uh, and this is a kind of a, a lesser point, but I've heard people who have taught the uh, complementarian perspective justify men's authority because they were made first. So man, you know, and then woman was made out of man, and then uh, man made woman. But you know, the fish were made before the man, and that doesn't give them. It, so that, that, that's a bit of a weak, weak one but I have heard it used and I thought oh come on um, you know, the created or, order argument it's not a statement of authority it's just how it happened um, the, I, I then had some pra- the practices accompanying the statement we don't have women elders uh there's a lot of, I found a lot of inconsistencies in the way we actually worked out the practice uh, which for me is a bit of a, it's a, bit of a flag to say have we, have we got this right you know, if the practice is difficult or inconsistent uh, then that makes me go mm, is this right, is this good so we struggle to define what teaching and having authority over a man look, looks like in practice. So in reality, even in churches that would hold this to the nth degree, they would allow women to lead large children's ministries, to lead men inside those ministries and set the teaching agenda. Uh, we allow women to lead worship, often in mixed groups. We allow women to lead small groups, as long as they are submitted to the elders, but then that would be the same for a men leading a small group. Uh, and small groups have men in them so when does it become having authority over a man and when doesn't it become having authority over a man and I've sat in elders meetings having these kind of discussions and there really isn't a lot of help in the Bible the, the best way to deal with it is to say uh, which some people who are, who are kind of true to this conviction just don't have women lead anything which just sounds crazy uh, some allow women to teach on a Sunday as long as it isn't foundational and that the woman is submitted to the elders but it's very tricky to define what's foundational in New Testament teaching because it's not there isn't like, now here's a neat category this is what the men can teach and this is what there's no what do you mean by foundational? well exactly no, but what do you mean by foundational? well I don't know oh. okay. well surely, surely all teaching if it's inspired by God and profitable for teaching and reproof is fundamental to the faith, isn't it? Now, now some truths are weightier than others, but... Right, so you can teach about, I don't know, uh, a man can teach about justification by faith, but a woman can teach about angels, like these kind of... Yeah, that, that, that's the kind of thinking. It, yeah. But it's arbitrary, where you draw the line... And, and it would get down to, well, you can teach it if it's foundation. If the elders have already taught it, then the woman can teach it. And it's like, okay, the rules are getting... The, 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 the rule book for women is getting thicker by the day. Um, and, and so, yeah, as, we believe, as we believe that we're not in a legalistic environment, 
actually we end up with a whole load of rules for women that don't apply to men. So the way we approach women in ministry is fundamentally legalistic in nature. And, you know, we've taught for years that we're not legalists, except with women. No, we never said that, but it started to look very clunky and very like with all these things. You know, we, and they almost like we have to invent the rules now. If the women can't teach or have authority, then what is that teaching look like? When do, you know, and there's not a lot of help for us in Scripture with those sort of distinctions. So all that, I'm just giving you my kind of journey of questions and like, so have we really got the right end of the stick here? It, this is worth looking at again. Um, and, and another thing, I think for Teresa and I, really right, way, way back, I remember, I think God spoke to us that part of what we're supposed to do is bring women through into their gifting. And, and we've like forever believed that there could be women evangelists, women healers, women prophets. But I've lived in this culture created by this conviction of complementarianism and the fruit of that culture is I don't see many women becoming powerful even in the non-prohibited ministry areas. So I'm like, mm, then there's a, we have a culture, if the stuff they really, even we believe they can do and they're not doing it, then we have a culture problem. Because they're not they're not, they're not coming through and, and what's happening and when you stop and look at it you think all our training is orientated to teaching and to teaching men uh, and the, 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 certainly I know my daughters would come home from New Day sometimes and like dad all they're telling us to do you know, is be at home and raise the kids and be good mums and that's not to undermine that that's, that's powerful and important but you see what I'm saying it's not creating an environment in which powerful women are emerging and the, the next thing under this you know, concerns under application is the lack of honour to wives of leaders who make massive contribution to church leadership church planting but it's only the men that are every talk you know the men's the leader the men did this the men unlike you know we've been together we've been married 33 years this year we in November. We I've been in ministry at least 26 years. We've been involved in starting at three or four churches and restarting several others. I mean, it's absolutely not possible that that could have happened if Teresa hadn't had a massive role, not just in sort of keeping me alive, but in fundamentally being there in in the in the life of a of a church. Uh, and there was a real lack of honour for the the cost, the energy. The gifting, the contribution, because it, it, the glasses were like, well, you know, the men lead. So it's almost like then the culture means we don't, the women become invisible in their significant contribution. That can't be, that can't be right. So either the, you know, some, something's amiss here, and that may not be that we totally throw our viewpoint away, but we'd certainly need to adjust it if we're going to just even line up with what we think is biblical inside that viewpoint is that, if, that, if that's clear but it's enough to kind of start throwing things up in the air in my mind to go I'm not sure I'm right about this the way that we're looking at it and applying it uh, the next area of question for me was what I call big picture theological issues so there's number one area was the prohibiting texts all were difficult and had difficult bits of Greek in them or whatever. The second thing that made me think is 
the, the sheer application of the position was clunky, legalistic, and actually not freeing women to do even what we thought they could do. Thirdly, the, the sort of big picture stuff, which is I love. I'm not kind of a big picture person, so let's just read this bit of Genesis. If you're in big picture theological issues, the, the text's in the notes. So. God said, let us make man in our image. You okay? Can you hear me at the back? After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of, and of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So the dominion was given to man, who in this text is clearly a male-female partnership. So Genesis chapter 1, before the fall, God commissions man, and man is defined as a man and a woman, to rule over the, the planet. And, and to to subdue it and look after it, basically. Uh, and in Genesis 2, where you get the story expanded, and God says to the man, it's not good for you to be alone. And, and then he puts him to sleep and takes a side out of the man and creates woman, because she was taken out of a man. She's presented as a helper, suitable. Um, now that word, that's probably in English not the best word to describe what the Hebrew two words mean. And uh, <coughs> that, that word is used of, of God elsewhere, starters. So God is the helper of Israel is the same word as the woman is the helper of the man. Alright, so that should start to tell us something that this isn't like man and little helper. <laughs> um, now, this is probably where you need to be in the notes if they're in front of you. Robert Alter just uh, picked up some latest scholarship on this. He, he translated himself the five books of Moses and noted that Ezekenegdo which means it is the Hebrew helper suitable as follows. Sustainer beside him, the Hebrew Aza Konegdo, King James Version is the helpmeet, is notoriously difficult to translate. The second term means alongside him or opposite him or a counterpart to him. Help is too weak because it suggests a merely auxiliary function whereas Aza elsewhere connotes active intervention on behalf of someone, especially military contexts, as often in the Psalms. When it says opposite, here it means facing or corresponding, not different. So it's a, it's a, a helper, but it's a better word than helper, opposite, but not as in opposed to, but facing. It is the Hebrew neg it's from the Hebrew neged meaning in front of, standing opposite, or your counterpart. Aza refers to a role which an ally might play in a war, or God or Christ offers us as our help. 
So if you think of the USA coming to in as a World War II ally, you wouldn't imagine that as a hierarchical relationship, but it, it, it's, it's a strong, they were a strong ally to the British and the others. Uh, and that's the best sense of Asa Konegdo, the woman. The strong ally standing opposite the man. It's a partnership, as seen at this, this point, two chapters into, into the Old Testament. It's good, eh? Yeah. And then you get Genesis three, and they, you know, they eat the apple, and then you get, huh? Well, whatever it was, the fruit. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm. I've been, I've been theologically accurate for about fifteen minutes. It's too long. Uh, Genesis three sixteen. Your desire. So this is the curse. Your desire should be for your husband. Now this is where the rule over you bit comes, and he shall rule over you. So the rule over you bit, which has really spawned, you know, the planet has been majorly a patriarchy for the last ever many thousand years, with the, a few exceptions, that's coming from the fall. The plan was a partnership, the fall created a hierarchy. So man ruling over a woman was a curse, well not a blessing. So remember, I'm big, big picture the, uh, theological issue. So that's that's beginnings issues about the beginning. What was the God's intention? What was God's ultimate intention at the beginning? And then, just because this is the way I think, I think about what's His plan at the end, and then we can figure out what's happening in between. <laughs> so eschatological means issues about the end. Um, so stuff like you know the reward of ruling cities. You know, Jesus talks about, you know, the, I'm not going to read it all, but you know, he gives the servants different amounts of talents to look after and then he comes back. And you get verse 26, it's in the, in the notes of Luke 19, I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Uh, and then as a bride of Christ in the future, in, in heaven or in the new heavens and new earth, we're going to reign with him. And he says that he has made us a kingdom of priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Revelation 22.5 Night shall be no more, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. There's no gender differentiation of the rulers and reigners in the end times. We all get to rule and reign. And the plan at the beginning was that the men and the women get to rule and reign together, and the plan at the end is that we're all in the ruling reign in Malachi with Jesus. So, that's the plan at the start, and that's the plan at the end, and now we have to go figure out what we do in the middle. <laughs> so you can see these sort of th this sort of thinking was making me lift the lid on stuff I've not lifted the lid on for quite some time. Third, third, third theological big picture issue. Let's read this. It's in the note. Acts two seventeen to eighteen. A and in the last days it shall be. God declares that I'll pour my spirit out on the flesh. Now, I don't know how many of you are theologically minded, but the coming of the spirit 
was the coming of the future into the present. Alright, so what is perfect, what is thoroughly heaven, the kingdom of heaven is invading the earth in the present by the coming of the Spirit. So if that's true, and what we've just said about the future is true, you would expect that the invasion of the Spirit into the present would reflect the future that is to come. Is that, is that okay? Is it following the logic? Yeah. So Acts 2.17, I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh, and your sons, here we go, and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams, even on our male servants and female servants, just to rub it in. So, so it's so in Israel the covenant the covenant was with a man, and the sign of the covenant was circumcision. So a woman couldn't be a covenant partner at the same level because she didn't have the biological equipment. Every cloud. <laughs> there is a silver lining. But here God's saying the presence of the future is invading the now. And I'm going to pour my spirit on men and women, and they're all going to function in the spirit. And then all the gifts, the lists of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, so I'm not going to go through them there, but they're there in the notes. You go look at 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Romans 12. They all talk about God pouring out his spirit in a general way, not, there's no gender like you know and the men I'll make apostles and the women oh, they'll be prophets although only the men can be pastors or oh, and the men can't the women can't be teachers but yes I'll let the women be evangelists just said he gave gifts to men in the general sense of the word men mankind men that's humanity men rather yeah. than bloke men the bloke men yeah <laughs> which is clearly it isn't because lots of people have gifts of administration and gifts you know all those different gift lists be it 1 Corinthians uh, 12 or Romans 12 we know that you know you, you, I don't know how you would ever unpick that to say women can have that and women can't have that they're, they're non-gender specific lists and even in the Old Testament there is actually although it's not super common you know it's commonly men that you know, we lift up David and Moses, and but women do arise and lead in the Old Testament, and they are honoured not as random exceptions, but as God's choice. So this famous one would be Deborah, um, and and I've been taught for years, well, well, she's an exception, but the Scripture doesn't say she's an exception. It actually honours her for a role, and she herself says of herself in the inspired scripture, basically, if I wasn't here, you'd have all been in a right sorry mess, is my <laughs> translation of the Hebrew. <laughs> Judges 5, 7, the villagers ceased in Israel, they ceased to be, until I arose, I, Deborah, arose as a mother in Israel. And nowhere that I could find, was it like, well, shame the blokes didn't show up, so we had to find a woman. It's not put in those kind of terms. Um... The view of the Trinity, this is a big picture theological issue, is a circle dance, not a hierarchy. There is a, there is a hierarchical view of Trinity, and we'll get back to this later, that is, you know, because the, Father is, the Son is submitted to the Father, which you can see that all through the book of John, then that is how women are to men. 
So you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You know, third person means you're third. Bronze. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the the Holy Spirit is in the bronze medal position. That's quite a good illustration. Um, so that's then used as a as a paradigm to look at the relationship of men and women. Well, surely it's all right for Jesus to be submitted to the Father. It's okay for women to be submitted to men because wow who what greater example could we have and it's true it's an uh, it's an amazing example um but but i'm i'm convinced that and i'll we'll go into this a bit later but that that the trinity isn't fundamentally or permanently a hierarchy it's more like a circle dance than you know the father's the boss the son's you know the son yes dad and the holy spirit's the gopher <laughs> which is how some christians think of him um, so the more i'm thinking trinity is a circle dance the more i'm thinking well i can't use that argument to justify got to think again about how men and women relate uh, and then the stuff that's been happening just to us as a church the last last two, three years of, uh, my last two headings in this section the growing awareness of freedom and identity are women free to be what they were created to be in our environment is the question I'm asking or is this just a freedom agenda for, for blokes you know, we talk, we've talked a lot about freedom, identity the nature of, uh, of our, the new being that we have in Christ. Have you got that section? Yeah. Yeah. A growing awareness of freedom. Five is. Uh, sorry, I've got a, the next heading is in bold, and that one isn't, which is confusing. Uh, so c- let, let me sort of kind of go back a little bit on this. We we went round uh, Robin Island off Cape Town and our, lots of you know our son and daughter-in-law live in Cape Town um, and it's fascinating I forgot this about right South Africa's about 47 million people 7 million issue white and the rest are blacks is that approximate I'm just I'm looking at my South African contingent here but it, it's it's more two and a half to three million mixed Okay, and there's the sort of mixed race in the middle. And it was not so very long ago that only the white guys voted. So, because purely because of race and colour, a huge proportion of the population of that nation were permanently excluded from any say in the decision-making processes of the nation. Yeah. And we were all like, oh, that's terrible. But in the church, we're saying, this is what I'm starting to think, well, we're freedom. Half the, at least half the population are permanently excluded from the key decision-making processes of this community. And we, you know, it's easy to spot in South Africa and be, you know, well, and, and, and Nelson Mandela was amazing in how he managed to get out of that because he saw that the answer wasn't now get the 40 million odd blacks and colours to oppress 
the seven million whites as revenge but he saw the issue was freedom and liberty and that that meant that everybody had to be f equally free yeah. and so he he stopped the hotheads do, doing stuff who were still there I'm sure kind of doing a malicious job on the whites who had been malicious to them and, and that, that's why he's I think such a you know, incredible moral hero yeah. but he it's because he understood the true nature of freedom that it, as soon as one group is excluded that actually means nobody is as quite as free as they'd like to be it's either freedom and equality for everybody alright are, are you following my drift so Jesus came to set the captives free he came to give sight to the you know he came to release the oppressed I'm starting to think we don't give women a vote effectively you know in key things they're not in the room and they're not allowed to be in the room is this you know it's a nice version but it's starting to sound like something scary I don't really like but when you grow up with it you don't think of it like that it's just how it is so that that kind of freedom identity who you are and, and lastly being powerful people you're talking a lot about that and uh, Jesus said we can all disciple nations again non-gender specific we're all powerful enough to change cultures ethnic groups Matthew 28, 19, 20 goes there for disciple nations yeah so just, just open it up for questions on what we've, what we've covered which is really I've just kind of been lifting the lid um, on my sort of thought journey on this so yeah Simon did you have yeah um, well the first one where you mentioned about Genesis 3.16 that man has now um, that the subjugation of women over men and that sort of thing um, is as a result of fall, and it was part of the yeah. curse. Which yeah. once we enter the blood of Christ, we're not we no longer need to submit ourselves to the consequences of the fall, and therefore that is something that when we're in Christ, uh -huh. that shouldn't necessarily be something that we have to um, engage with. Yeah. However, that was put in the same breath as pain at the childbirth yeah. and that you need to till the ground. Yeah. Um, obviously, we believe that um, part of God's grace is that he makes he does prosperity on ourselves on, uh, through his grace and stuff so we do believe that telling the ground does not always need to be part of our life yeah. or that we can pray and pain a child will be eased but those aren't things that once we become Christian all of a sudden go away um, we will still experience difficulties with telling the ground we will still, uh, people will still have parts where they will have pain in child mm -hmm. um, so as that was part of the curse then as well, is it right to say that everything else that was in that curse, because I can understand, okay, this one's choice, mm -hmm. and the other ones we can't necessarily always do stuff with, um, so I can understand that distinction, but nonetheless it is still within that same category and list of things. Okay, I, I'm not trying to argue for mm. the full reversal of all the effects of the curse. Mm -hmm. That's reading way too much into what I'm saying. I'm, all I'm pointing out is men rule over women came at the curse, not at the original intention. End of statement. At this point, that's all I'm saying. <laughs> all right. I, I do believe we can enjoy the benefits of the age to come, which is 
relief from some of the curse now but you know the, the, the ground we still till is still cursed the full redemption of the planet has yet to happen um, I do think we can you know pray for our ladies that they would reduce their pain in childbirth it, it does say greatly increase your pain in childbirth it doesn't wasn't that there was none it, the curse is that there's just more so I think we should we should pray for that to be you know minimized and and, and legitimately so yeah I, I believe it you know part, even the old covenant one of the blessings was that the fruit of the womb would be blessed and I know it's about multiplication but I, I think God looks after your womb women I think he, he wants to bless your childbearing process and ability um, but yeah the full the full reversal of all the consequences of the curse will not take place until there's a new heaven and there's a new earth but potentially it's already done because in Christ at the cross it was all all done yeah, everything that needed to be done to reconcile man to God and the planet and everything it was broken and fixed if you like the curse was broken and the thing was fixed in that point but well in this subject all I'm saying look where this began the, the source of this is here not in God's original intention and the the plan for the end is that it looks like this oh look you know men and women ruling together so that's I'm just saying big picture that says something to us but I haven't kind of driven it beyond that yet is that, is that okay it's a good question very good question any, any other questions don't have to be as they don't have to be like that one, please. <laughs> we were just talking about yeah. Deborah, how we'd all been taught that uh, she was there because basically the guys hadn't risen to the task. And yeah. then you were saying that she was an exception because the blokes weren't up to most basically. Yeah, I was taught That's that. That's what we've been told, but, taught. Uh, if it's in the please look and if it's in the text I want to know but I think it's we've read we've read our position into the text rather than let the text speak so I, I think my verse summarises the Bible view of Deborah's role just in relation to that um, mm. when I've had chats with people about this I mean most complementarians mainstream complementarians will argue more about spiritual leadership rather than sort of practical leadership of women so that's why they have issues with elders, but they don't necessarily have issues with other types of things. Um, has, yeah, exactly. And, and that has well, its easier short, job. Yeah, exactly. It has its short scores. It's not. It's not a bulletproof argument. Right. Um, but one of the arguments that are made for Deborah is that she's Raising a political leader at the time, right. um, rather than a spiritual leader. So she she's a political leader that has Israel rather than um, necessarily a priest or a prophet that comes up. Um, yeah. Yeah, but this is in a time of judges, um, and so you know it's the time of Gideon and all those sort of people. They are the spiritual leaders, and the political leader and spiritual leader are one and the same. So I, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the, the commander in chief. The government—it's—it's it's all in one. It's, you know, Samuel, and so on. They—they they all judged Israel. 
So I think that that's stretching it a bit. Yeah. <coughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. You might cover this later, so feel free to say that. Jesus was funded by women. Yeah. Not exclusively, but yeah. There was he was certain financially funded by women, and yet he chose twelve blokes. Yeah. As the disciples and apostles. I'm just wondering. Well, of course, you know the answer to this. Why? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come on, Adam. <laughs> I, I, I think it'd be better to get further through stuff. Uh, have I got? This is the second time I've been asked this question, so I should really make sure I've got a good answer for ne- for next week. I do. I do have an answer, but it isn't. It isn't in the notes. I mean, I think the twelve disciples, the the twelve named apostles, uh, you hit the same issue for why are they not women? As you get, can you have a con- the continuing ministry of apostles? Okay. Yeah, so some would argue for the non-continuation of apostolic ministry because the twelve were the twelve, and that that was it. Oh, and, oh, maybe Paul, you know. Oh, and the guy that they 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 tossed up for, you know. Um, but, but but I think the twelve have a the twelve apostles of the Lamb are unique. So you know if you know you have a modern day apostle, he's not an equivalent to that group. And I think twelve guys were chosen because it represents the twelve tribes, and then you get the twelve thing repeated in Revelation. Yeah. So that's kind of where I would go with that. Okay, we can do more. Any any more? Thoughtful, helpful, yeah. painful. <laughs> okay, not yet. Okay. All right. Um, okay, we're going to kind of dig a little bit deeper into some of these these texts. We'll just see how far we go and how much my voice and your brain can can handle. Um, the biggie, the absolute knockout. 1 Timothy 2.12 this, this is the big verse on this issue uh, to the point you know, I was reading you know, a well respected Bible teacher New Frontiers that if one word on this kind of fell he knew he'd have to change his whole position on women in ministry this, this is the big lens this is the, the major perspective shifting scripture um, so that might make you want to tune in and buckle buckle up because um, the probably uh, it would be good to read the chapter to be honest I've got a, could someone do that for us I can't remember what verse from but it won't hurt to go just to read 1 Timothy 2 someone read that out for us the whole chapter just so we get the context yeah I'll go for it I urge you then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. 
the testimony given in its proper time. And for, and for this purpose I was anointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, and a teacher of the true faith to the Gentiles. I want man everywhere to lift up holy hands in prayer without anger or disputing. I also want women to dress modestly and with decency and propriety, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was born first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Thanks. I mean, there is a chapter full of yeah. landmines, if there ever there was. Yeah. Not one you would want to do a Sunday morning service. <laughs> and the chapter today is, and women should not braid their hair and wear gold jewellery and expensive clothes. So, if you shop anywhere other than H&M or uh, Primark, then... You know, yeah, charity shops is okay, but in this church, Marks and Spencers is out. He's sinning women, you. Um, now, I don't know. I mean, actually, it, maybe there still are, but the, in these enlightened days, most churches would not teach that or expect that because they understand that it was, a, it was a statement into a culture where those where that kind of dress said something it doesn't say today so it, what, what's to be prohibited is the behaviour and the attitudes associated with the dress not the way you dress and the context of the chapter is actually public worship it talks about men lifting up hands in worship so one interpretation uh, a friend of mine went for on this verse 1 Timothy 2.12 was actually he said actually it's just to do with marriage because the context is the Genesis account of, of the man and woman he says wherever that's referred to in scripture and it is true it's about marriage so that actually the prohibition is the way that a marriage functions so that's actually one there is a school of thought that goes that route uh, and I looked at that and in the end I ditched it because the context is public worship it's applying to everybody not just to marriage so, you know, men, all men raising their hands and prayer for authorities I thought, the context doesn't make sense that this is marriage this is about men and women in a broader context because the other challenge you have in Greek is the word for woman and wife is the same yeah. it's the same Greek word you, t you tell by the context it's in whether it means wife or woman and that, that's going to come up again in another, in another passage. But I think, I, I think the context means you can't go marriage. I mean, it, I mean it's, a good, it's a good attempt. But, but I, think, I don't think this is about marriage. I think this is a, it's set in a broader context than that. What do people wear? I mean, and the final verse is another... I haven't read anybody who really knows what that means. Everybody knows what it doesn't mean. You know, it doesn't mean you have to have a baby to go to heaven. You know, 
you know, a woman will be saved through childbirth. There's a lot of there's a lot of difficulty. So you can see that the the context is 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 challenging already. And then there's this sort of verse that smacks you between the eyes, which is what we're going to zero zero in on a little bit. Um, so someone read it again. Let's just hear it in uh, NIV or the one Timothy two twelve. Let's hear it in a different version. Have you got Do not it? permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. Okay, great. Um, so there's considerable debate around the phrase teach or exercise authority over a man and what does that mean? And what does that really say? And this is, if you remember at the beginning, this word authority is only used here in Scripture. It's used once and once only and, and it's here. And the Greek word is authentain. And, and how should we understand that word is very, very important. To, the, to this, uh, to what the sense of that is, because I, I forget now the other word. Uh, it's in the notes somewhere for authority is exousia, and that's used like a hundred and six times. So it gives you some idea. Here's this other easy Greek word for authority that Paul and others use over and over again, and here he chooses not to use it. It must be on purpose. It's inspired, inspired scripture. Um, so again, Av. Uh, translated it, you know, back in 1611, usurp. Uh, i.e., not using uh, authority in a, a dominating way. So this is it. The if it's a negative understanding of the word, it changes the meaning of the sentence to away from a carte blanche prohibition to a specific prohibition that's why it's important it's like it's not saying women can't have authority it's just saying women don't exercise authority badly that's a different meaning to don't have authority period so that's why there's such hotly debated this issue and this is where you know the bible teacher I read you know like he was hanging his hat on this if this word falls over his position is gone in his thinking that's how um, so the, the Greek phrase is didaskain ode authentain sees Paul as prohibiting women from teaching in a way that usurps authority and nothing else if we believe that the meaning of the word is negative that's what the thing means I'm sorry I'm gibbering a bit here so if authentain is negative in connotation the meaning is shifts alright we've done that so authentain lexical evidence pre-constantine so the other thing you have to watch with delving into the meaning of words is you can get some really I don't know, equivalent of a really ancient dictionary from, I don't know, AD f the 4th century and think, well, let's look up authentain and you find it, but actually as we know 4 centuries or 3 centuries of word usage it can shift in meaning quite a lot you know, we, we've seen that happen in our own lifetimes, that we words you know, like gay you know, can, do you know what that can 50 years ago to now what that means is actually quite different um, so you have to find out how is it used back when the thing was written first century Greek usage and that's not an easy job to do 2000 years on but 
what I've reproduced for you is the lexical evidence pre-Constantine of the usage of the word authentane. It's used mistakenly cited in Philodemu, I don't know what that is. In BGU 1208 it means coerce. In Hippolytus it means violent, it has a violent connotation. And in several astrological texts in which the planets control something or somebody controls something, clearly the meaning is neutral. It doesn't have a negative connotation. So the uses that you can find for your thentane in, that, in the context of one person doing something to someone else, the connotation is always negative when it's interpersonal interaction. So... I can't go any further than that. I think it means what the AV said it meant, which is usurp. And that's what this is saying. It has, it's a prohibition against women using authority badly. Which actually is prohibited by every, for everybody in Scripture. Jesus said, you know, don't rule it, don't, don't be like the rulers of the world, don't rule over one another. Yeah? So it, it, it's the general prohibition of non-overbearing authority specifically applied to women for a reason. <clears throat> and the reason, I think, is the... Co- Understanding scripture is all about context, not just like reading the verses before and the verses behind. You have to understand the context it was written from and the context it was written to. So... You'll probably, if you've read Acts, you'll remember that in in Ephesus there's a big hoo-ha with with the deity in in that area. Remember, and and the people that are making the images, uh, and the deity or the cult of Diana was centred in Ephesus, and, and this was a, was a, was a myth of a kind of a god Diana goddess who came to Earth and married a human man, and she basically was the boss of him and so the the cultural backdrop of that cult was was a, was a, a matriarchal women dominating men type situation which makes perfect sense that Paul would want to write a specific kind of thing to that to forbid the women getting involved in that kind of exercising authority over men Yeah. Wasn't a problem in Corinth, yeah, 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 because you've got this specific cult, you know, the culture that he's in, that the church is embedded in often tries to affect the church, so it's quite possible that you had women that had been affected by this thinking who were now in in this I propose freedom where they could lead, actually starting to lead like in the cult of Diana, which is completely a non-Christian, non-kingdom way of leading. So they said, don't women don't do that, and don't teach in a way that sounds like you're doing that. You know, stand up and scolding people from the front type malarkey. Um, so I don't think there's anything in the word that is prohibiting church leadership from women. And here's my simple version of it. All right, if you're not bothered about lexical references and da 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 da, because it is difficult. So Paul's deliberately used a different word. Oh, here it is. When talking about authority in this setting, there's a normal word because he's used 102 times in the New Testament. Therefore, he must have something meaning in mind, not a different meaning in mind than the normal use. Otherwise, he'd use the normal word. 
Therefore, it cannot be a carte blanche prohibition, but one which is probably best explained by the context it's written to. Uh, I think what, what particularly as guys we struggle with, this is sort of a bit of a section in here, we've grown up in and we've had centuries if not millennia of patriarchal male dominated culture and we tend to bring the lens that that has given us to scripture when we read the scripture. How's everybody doing for air? Theresa, do you want to ask further back? Cause yeah. Maybe a lot more. Have you got air? Are you around at the back? Are you all right? Can you need air in the middle? Can we close the window? Is the question. Okay, this is all recorded theological discussion on closing windows. Sorry. Um, it's automatic blind. Um, so the sort of hierarchical men first mindset is so so in us that it's quite hard and we bring that to scripture sometimes quite hard to sort of unpack what's our kind of emotive feelings general mindset and what is it it's saying and we're going to come across that again in a minute how are we doing I think I'm going to try and finish about 9.15 on this section. Is that okay? We'll have a few questions and then we'll... If you can handle it, we'll come back for more. Um, and I've deliberately not done this this on a Sunday, because you can tell this is quite line by line, detailed, unpacking it. On a Sunday I'm going to say, look, this is what we believe, and we have to do something in terms of creating a culture where this can work out if you want to know the theological reasons listen to the message <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, here we go headship, hierarchy and trinity fasten your seatbelts <laughs> yeah, there may be some turbulence uh, um, 1 Corinthians 11.3, I've quoted it in the, in the notes. I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife of a husband, and the head of Christ is God. Now, that sound, sounds pretty straightforward on superficial reading, isn't it? It sounds like a chain of command, you know. The head, the, 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 the head of Christ is God. So, you know, God's over Christ. The head of man is Christ. So you've got God... Christ, man, and then poor old woman's at the bottom. <laughs> so it goes. If you if you can if you read it this way, it goes God, Christ, man, woman, and that's how some people read it. Um, so based around this scripture and one Corinthians fifteen twenty eight, since the early nineteen eighties, it's been argued that Christ is and was permanently subordinated to the Father and so women are permanently subordinated to men. So this, from this you've got hierarchical trinity therefore you have hierarchical male-female relationships. God, boss of Jesus, Jesus, boss of man, man, boss of woman. So women, what are you moaning about? Because Jesus had a boss and that was God. 
do, do, do you see how it works? Yeah. And that, that, that's how, that's kind of the, 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 the logic of the position. <coughs> the, the problem is, and we're going to get on to this again next week, is that the idea that someone could be permanently subordinating function apart from ontological subordination is a new idea. That's plain, isn't it, to all of you, I can tell. Rebecca was just saying. Yeah, that's what I know you're way, you're way ahead of me. I'll do, I'll do it again and I'll explain it. The idea that someone could be permanently subordinate in function apart from some ontological subordination, that is the nature of their being is different. Ontolo- ontological is to do reference to, the, to your being. So it's about the very nature or being of God. So to say that you could be permanently subordinate in function but not somehow different in being is a new idea. So Trinity danger, Arianism, which is what Jehovah's Witnesses believe, they the, their main reason for saying Jesus isn't God is because all the verse, this verse and the verses in John that talk about how Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing, only the Father knows the time. Jesus is painted up in, in many scriptures as being, per, as being permanently subordinate to the Father and they rightly argue if someone's permanently subordinate you can't say that he's equal to. If his role is always second in command he's not the same, he can't be the same as. Just, just hold that thought, park that somewhere. I believe, we believe, I know Alan believes, he's taught it, that the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are co-eternal, co-equal, co-substantial. I mean, that's, that's what... The, the, that's, they, they kind of wrestled this out in the Council of Nicaea and all that stuff because, because of the, the cults and the errors that were coming in. You know, God is, is three and he's also one. And all the three are utterly and thoroughly divine. There's not one that's less or more. Like we said before, it's not like Holy Spirit, bronze medal. I think it's, yeah, they're all gold. Yeah, they all they all won. They're all one, and they're all one. So it, it's not a hierarchy of beings, but one being who is also three. Not a hierarchy of beings, it's one being is also three. Or three beings are also one. But they're all equally powerful, equally knowledgeable, equally divine, etc. etc. And Jesus in his earthly submission came in a particular way as son. So in Philippians two it tells us that Christ he, he, being equal to God did not say or take being equal to God something to be grasped but he took on the form of a servant 
and he came in the incarnation as a servant and so he only did what he saw the father he, he behaved in a father-son relationship in his incarnation and now he's seated as lord and head over all things exercises all authority in heaven and on earth and there's a bunch of scriptures to show that so it wasn't his permanent condition it was how he was being equal with God he didn't see it as a thing to be grasped he came and he lived amongst us as a servant as a man who was thoroughly God by the way you're right with this keep going going. so then he says things like do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me the words that I say to you I do not speak on my own authority but the Father who dwells in me does his works believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me or else believe on account of the works themselves then he says John 10 says I and the Father are one so he's, he's making statements that say I'm the same dude as that dude with, with, there's nothing between us he's in me and I'm in him we are one he's, you know, I'm not inferior, he's superior he's not boss, I'm, I'm gopher it's not how this works he's a good, good, good friend of mine, Augustine I'm, I'm sure I would have been his mate if I'd have been around the same time but he says this about this scripture if the head of man is Christ and the head of Christ is God and man is not of one substance with Christ who, who is God for man is not God but Christ is of one substance see I'd have gotten really well with him <laughs> but Christ is of one substance with God for he is God therefore God is not the head of Christ in the same sense that Christ is the head of man so what he's saying is that chain of command you can't write it like that because you're comparing apples with pears God and Christ are the same substance Christ and man are not so they just go da 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 ping 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 ching doesn't work because it's not how this is this is not you're not comparing the same kind of being with one another see I told you you'd like Augustine so the nature of the creature and the creative Godhead do not exactly coincide God is the head of Christ as father Christ is the head of us as maker so you know, go figure. It's not a tidy chain of command that we're talking about. What this means is one Corinthians eleven three is not a tidy hierarchy, but we're comparing apples with pears. Therefore, it's not a proof text for hierarchical subordination and ruling over. And possibly there's a lot of debate about this head. The word head means source, but even if it means head, the nature of headship is in the kingdom of God isn't domination. It's lifting up. problem with hierarchical trinity in the end you're kind of trying to define God through fallen humanity's relational framework because of sin we need someone who's in control to keep sin in check so there's a proverb that says that when when a nation is rebellious it has many rulers so the more trouble you have the more bosses you need so the way we constrain sin is is we have somebody in charge who punishes people who don't obey but God doesn't need doesn't need to do that relational trinity is a higher revelation 
There is no permanent ultimate authority, only shared oneness in Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They don't need one of them to be in charge, one of them to have a bigger vote than the other in case they see it differently because they never do because they're thoroughly in harmony and unity. When you look at one you see the other and vice versa. There's never a like, well I think this and you think that, so God, you've got to decide. It never is like that. So they don't need somebody to do that. That's hard for us to get because we live in a world that's full of chain of command, full of final authority, because that's the only way we get things done because we are always disagreeing. We, 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 we are on a journey into understanding what intimacy, relational unity and harmony looks like because that's, that's the redeemed reality we've been born into as Christians. Is this, this making sense? So if you then slap hierarchy on that, because you only know that's how, the only way to live, it then starts to affect the way you do marriage, women, and God. And Holy Spirit, because he's third, remember? <laughs> You're doing so well. It's okay, brain's ready for... Yeah, one more scripture. So let's do... 1 Timothy 3 we should probably read this or a good chunk of it because someone else want to have a bash at this um, yeah we're going to need most of it at least up to 12 okay. the train the, the train <laughs> the now train. standing at platform 3 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the saying is trustworthy okay if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must, he must manage his, his own household well, with all dignity keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must, not be uh, he must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderous, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children, uh, managing their children and their own and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. Can we keep going? Or? No, that's good. Okay, okay this. And my kind of rethink journey, th this was probably my final <coughs> issue. Elders, qualification for elders, it's a big character list, husband of one wife. Um, I, was, I was genuinely stuck at that. I thought, well, it must be for blokes because that's what it says, and it is what it says. Um, and, and if I hadn't kind of had a bit of a breakthrough on this, they wouldn't be teaching this, even bothering to teach this. 
Um, so are you, are you ready for this bit? So the husband of one wife, what, what's, what's that about? And the other interesting thing on this is lots of the, even these really thick books that I read actually don't talk about this chapter. Yeah. So, so like, I want a thick book to tell me. <laughs> but there wasn't one. It, which is bizarre, I don't, I don't know why. Um, so I had to go back to some other source material here. So 1 Timothy 3.11, which in Alan's version says, just, just read, it? read it for us. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderous, okay. sober-minded. That's great. Just, just stop. So their wives likewise. Remember in Greek, woman and wife is the same word defined by context. So a translator is making an assumption that that sentence is about the wife of a deacon. What the what the what the word said is women likewise. That's yeah. what it says. Yeah. And then in other translations, they've decided that it means deaconess, for which there is no Greek word. There's no female deacon word. So they've, they've made up an English word, which isn't there at all. All right, you, you're following my drift here. Um, so could it be that this is a list of overseers who are men and if you're a bloke and you're overseers basically it's have this great character and w men if you're deacons have this great character women if you lead have this character oh no by the way deacons who should only have one wife if you're a man so if you, if you kind of look at the notes with me, Jung's literal translation, which is a bit old world language, but it, he sets it out. So he says, ministrants in like manner grave, not double-tongued, but given, not given to much wine, not given to filthy lucre, having the secret of the faith and a pure conscience, let those also first be proved and let them minister being unbl unblameable. Women, in like manner, grave, not false accusers, vigilant, faithful in all things. Ministrants, let them be of one wife, husband. One wife, husbands are like that. The children leading well, and their own and their own houses. That's just the Greeks put together in that kind of literal way. And an interesting Greek scholar Hendricks, in his commentary on this very section, says the syntax. All right, the structure of the sentences is clear it says overseers must be deacons similarly must be women similarly must be the women in view are therefore rendering special service to the church and then at that point he says it can't possibly mean that they're leaders because I don't believe that they can be which is what a lot of these because he's bringing his preconception to the text it won't allow him to go actually it doesn't mean deaconess or wife of it just means women but he's just said it means women. So it's quite likely that the husband of one wife is there because of frequent and almost normative infidelity among men, says Gordon Fee in his commentary on 1 Timothy 3, which is probably the world we live in now, 
and woman is inserted so that the category of women who serve in whatever way overseer, deacon, leader also meet the highest qualifications but of course they are actually more faithful so the issue of one husband wife is not being addressed the men were the philanderers of the day or habitually so Mm. much stroking of beards by everybody it should also be noted that uh, although deacons are you know, if you interpret the other way deacons are to be the husband of one wife Phoebe is a female deacon so if you put all that together you think this is not a major thing saying overseers can't be women in fact you could read it that it's saying there is a category of leader called women who should also be of the highest standards of behaviour, integrity, etc. In fact, their list is shorter than the guys <laughs> because they're probably not so prone to, you know, because one of the things, you know, it's husband of one wife, there's pugnacious, drinking, and maybe the women were just less likely to thump people and... Do, do you see what I mean? It's just kind of saying, this is... In that culture, this is what the guys are doing, and we don't want that in our elders. By the, by the way, women who are leading, you know, be wholesome about this. And, and the, the syntax of the thing would make, make sense of that. It's, it's an acceptable way of looking at this. You know, I'm not sort of inventing it out of thin air. Oh boy, we should stop. Uh, I'm going to need you to bring your notes with you next week because there's, there's 12 pages I'm not going to print a whole new set for you all again for next week to mark where we got up to and because we've done so well I may be able to get to talk about do another section on marriage next week because we've got time because this, this this affects we need we need to have a good look at a theology of marriage uh, on the back of, of what we're talking about. Okay, any questions on where we're at? Well, I think what Augustine is saying is that it's not a simple chain because you're not compare let me stop the reason I unpacked it that way is because the first bit which is the head of Christ is God is used to justify the permanent submission of women to men which is the second bit but you cannot comparing the same things um, I do think in the context of marriage which we'll talk about next week that that there is headship because I think it's there in Ephesians 5 but what that actually looks like is like Christ's headship of his church which is actually the goal of Christ with his church is to lift her up, make her glorious empower her, release her not dominate her, squeeze her squash her 
so that, that's something we, we can look at so there is a role for headship but I don't think you can read this hierarchical trinity hierarchical man and woman thing out of that verse mm-hmm. that's all I was doing confused in that verse in that case as to why why he goes into the trouble of using the same is the head of is the head of is the head of the same language yeah, repeated yeah. for all three yet we're saying in a different I don't quite get no why he would do like almost put that in there to stumble you like I'm probably the honest answer is I don't know I think it, it is though to do with what the rest of that chapter is about which is it is a chapter on head covering well, so there's a lot of head <laughs> the one with the head covered head uncovered there's a lot of that going on in that chapter and, and I'm really just not going to go there I, <laughs> so yeah yeah, go, go away and have another look at it and by, by all means Hi. Um, First Timothy three, the one that we're just looking at, just yeah, to finish with. Yeah. In verses one and four and six and seven and so on. The personal pronoun is he mm. in the ESV. Mm. Um, you have to be a bloke to be a he. Yeah, you do. Is that a translation issue, or is it? No, I think it's. I think it's a he. I think that's a he, and that's. But then you've got woman for when it's not a he. Alright, oh, okay, so. Okay, I'll come back. So if you look how it's laid out on yeah. in the notes, <laughs> it is all about he's. It's about him having one wife and not being pugnacious <laughs> and giving so much drink and controlling his children and blah, 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 blah. It is he, 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 he. And then women. And then. Okay, because you've mentioned in verse 11. Yeah. Uh, their wives likewise must but you haven't made it up there's no there uh, the word there isn't there isn't <laughs> there the word there isn't there so there um, right so should an accurate translation of 1 Timothy 3.11 read women likewise must be this is verse 11 them. yeah because mm-hmm. I've got um their wives likewise, which seems to imply the wives of the previous... Yeah, yeah, and there isn't in the text. There isn't in the Greek. No. And wives can be... Women or... Gynae can be translated as wife or woman. What what they're doing is saying, we don't believe women can lead, so it must be that these are the wives of the deacons, (laughs) or they must be deacons. Okay. But the word is woman. It doesn't say their women, it just says women. Right. Women in, women in like manner which is, which is the point that Hendrickson, Hendricks is making is that he says the syntax is clear it's overseers, deacons, women not their women but to try and make sense of it how they understand it which is what I said before about pe- people come to it with a you know, most of the translators are blokes Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> you know, let's get really down to this, and they're and they're coming at this with a a patriarchal perspective, 
and, 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 and certainly Hendrix is weird. You read it, it says the syntax is clear. It's did it, did it. It says, but it can't mean that. And you're like, but you just said it did. And it, 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 it's this, it, it, it's the struggle that people have to to, to go. Hang on, let, let's put all my presuppositions down and just let it say what it says. That, that's, that's my opinion. It is bad. It, yeah, yeah. We're all, we're, we're all guilty of, of doing that. So. There is one kind of worms, and you're more than welcome not to answer this. Okay. Um, it, it is really more the historical, the church historical issue, rather than a theological issue. Right. Um, because I don't really have anything to argue against what you say. However, people that have spoken like you, mm-hmm. not far along down the road, have used very much the same culturally um, sort of uh, context contextualizing arguments. Yeah. And then further down the road, they're the same people that will now be making arguments in the Anglican Church for uh, gay people. Uh, okay. Yeah. So we go. And that sort of thing. Now again. Very controversial. You don't need to answer it. No, no. I think I think it's a real question, and I think I think. Did you you all hear the question? This is the the argument, and this is often made by the complementarians as an accusation to the Galatarians that it's a step because there's two. Their view is there's too many cultural arguments being made, which actually I've tried not to make. Mm I've tried to take away the cultural lenses and look at what does the text say. But their accusation, and it is an accusation, is if you do, if you go egalitarian, you're making culture shape your view of scripture. So the next step on that slippery slope is that you think that homosexuality is okay in scripture too. Now, you know, the honest to goodness, Bible believing egalitarians are like, well, no way. It's not. Again, you're comparing apples with pears and the text of Scripture. You can't do. It's not like you can go to Romans one or whatever, and look at those and, and do what we've done to one Timothy three, or and say actually it doesn't mean homosexual in the way we think it means homosexual. It does. You have you have to commit. You know, you have to commit absolute spiritual Harry carry to make it be okay. Honestly, mm-hmm. you have to do crazy things to make the text say that it's okay, and that's not what we're doing, and that's not what the genuine egalitarians are doing. I think it's a bit of a defensive shot from the the, the actually troubled complementarians. Mm-hmm. Saying, "Oh, if you take a step down, there, when it, actually it's not really an argument. If both sides and they are trying to be genuinely biblical, then what is what is genuinely defined as?" sin in the Bible is safe because we're all just trying to be, be, be you know, let the Bible speak uh, and, and if what I'm saying is true there should be one of the points I'll make later is there should be biblical example of women leading and there are so it shouldn't just be I've extracted this theoretical idea but there should actually be evidence in, in the text that women do it and, and, and there is some good evidence for that, whereas the homosexual argument, you've got zero evidence for that. Now, the whole how we handle that, and I think we've been absolutely rubbish at the way we've, the, the church for centuries, handled the homosexual issue. So now when we say anything, we're shot down as being, you know, angry, prejudiced, etc. 
and uh, and we're just seen as camp always campaigning against them. We want to burn them, and that really isn't isn't right either. But that's a whole other thing to talk about. Any other? What's that thing? There's no more questions. We're done for this week, anyway.